Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Fight for Liberty show. We have an awesome show for you guys tonight. And as always, it is brought to you by Nug of Knowledge. If you guys want to get a little bit stoned and open up your mind and do so legally and support the freedom movement and the liberty movement, do it at nugofknowledge.com. Use promo code UNITE and you'll get 10% off of your first purchase. And again, this is owned, operated. Everyone in this organization is part of the Liberty Movement. Every piece of money goes straight to that. Uh, so go on over to nugofknowledge.com. Give us uh, give us some support, and we would really appreciate that. Tonight, we have a pretty awesome person who I've been following in the Liberty Movement for a little while. He is the chair of the Atlanta LP and hopeful possible candidate for uh, Senate in Georgia. Mr. Chase Oliver, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Um, glad to be here. Yeah, so I know you uh, you corrected me on Twitter. You're not actually a candidate yet, but is it most of the way? Well, I'll put it this way. So uh, we have a lot of statewide races here in Georgia, uh, and that's the races that we have like kind of automatic ballot access for, uh, that we've retained mm-hmm. ballot access for. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at what options are out there. You know, I ran for Congress last year. So the idea of running for a legislative seat would really kind of be something that I might be interested in. And that would be the United States Senate seat that we have. But, uh, you know, I'm technically testing the waters right now because I want to see what kind of campaign support we can get. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I loved running for Congress last year. And uh, I love the idea of, you know, fighting to restore our legislatures uh, to mm-hmm. what they should be. Right. That's uh, it's a long, arduous process and a, and a big task. Uh, yeah. And uh, I learned a lot about that this weekend, actually. Uh, uh, the LP National, uh, they've been doing these, you know, they set up these regional trainings all over the country. And Atlanta was mm-hmm. the first one uh, right. for our region. And I did the candidate track. So I learned a lot of stuff that candidates need to know. Um, and they also have an affiliate track. So if you're trying to build an affiliate, uh, it's a great resource to do. They had awesome, awesome uh folks out there. Yeah, I'm really excited for our training. It was supposed to be the first one, and now it's going to be the last one because I'm in Region 8. And uh, actually, I definitely I actually really wanted to talk about that. How did that go? What kind of cool things did you learn? So it was pretty awesome. And I will say, uh, you know, being the first one does have the advantage of like, you know, kind of being bright and shiny. But by the time they get to your region, all of any kinks will be worked out. So you're going to have like the most fine-tuned machine when it comes to the trainings, but uh, yeah, it uh, th- there's two tracks, candidates and affiliates, and uh, Kara Schultz helped put this together with Michelle McCutcheon, Becca Congdon, uh, uh, Caitlin Cloven. There, there's other people that I'm not like coming to mind right now, but there was like a great staff of uh, folks who were basically um, helping to educate. And you know, you learn like campaign timelines, like what do you need to do before you even announce, like how to set up. Uh, your, you know, your EIN so that you can create a campaign account. Like all these fundamentals are uh, provided to you in like a nice binder that has basically like a checklist of like, 
this is what you need to do to plan a run. This is how you figure out your win number. This is how you figure out what your goals are for the race. Um, so it was a really great resource. I can only imagine the affiliate side um, was just as thorough, you know, and we had about 50 people. And some of the people who were there literally joined the party two weeks ago. John Mons, God bless him, uh, got a fraternity brother to join the party two weeks ago, and he was already there looking to try to, uh, you know, see what he can do for a campaign. So it was, it was pretty awesome. The campaign and affiliate tracks are both great. I can't hear you. I muted myself because I was coughing and then forgot to unmute. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. You said uh, win number because I put that in a form earlier this week or last week, I guess. And a couple of people questioned what that even was. I was like, it was a form for candidates. And the question was win number. And people were like, what's a win number? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, it's, it's, yeah. Who? You need to know that because that's where your goals are. You know, it, you need to right. know what the average number of 50% plus one is. If you're looking to outright win a race, um, if your goals are to maybe push a runoff or to really get the issues out there, you need to know how much you're going to need to know, you know, to have an impact to do that. You know, we had a wonderful 2020 Senate campaign. It was the most expensive Senate campaign in history. Uh, and we forced uh, our party forced a runoff with Shane Hazel um, because he did what was needed to get that uh, win percentage and it really garnered a lot of attention for us and it got voters maybe thinking about voting libertarian in the future. Yeah, I uh, actually had him on last week and I asked him how it, how it felt to ruin our democracy and, and sell us out to the Democrats. <laughs> well, well, it speaks a lot to the GOP's uh, total ignorance of reality mm -hmm. when you see that they're like they have their hit list of things that cause them to lose. And Shane Hazel and the Libertarians are like the top four out of the five. And just at the bottom is like our behavior and our <laughs> candidate. And it's like that should be the number one thing that's causing you to lose elections. Um, yeah. But, you know, Shane, Shane basically went full bore at them uh, to, with the Liberty message. And if I were to be a candidate, uh, that'd be something I'd be looking forward to, to doing, too. Like Raphael Warnock is currently the incumbent. And, uh, you know, he was elected. Uh, large, in large part by the people who were encouraged by the Black Lives Matter movement and this movement for criminal justice reform and uh, his lack of real, I mean, you know, he speaks the platitudes, but what is he doing in the legislature? He's doing what every Democrat and Republican does in the Senate or in the House, whatever the leadership tells them to do and nothing else. And yeah. that's, and, you know, Justin Amash will be the first to tell you that is a major problem in our legislature, that they're broken. They don't legislate anymore. They just do whatever leadership tells them to do. And honestly, I think the people of Georgia deserve a voice uh, that's going to, you know, speak truth to power. That's going to bring the message of like, you know, I'm anti-war to the core. That is something that is, you know, precious to me. And it it would be nice if the state of Georgia had an anti-war voice in the Senate, or it would be nice if they had a pro-criminal justice reform voice in the Senate. That's not just going to do whatever Chuck Schumer says or whatever Mitch McConnell says. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's something that I look at and. Bringing the liberty message to the Peach State is something I'm very passionate about. That's awesome. I'm excited to see what you guys are going to do down there. I I like like you and Shane are, in my opinion, two of the best messengers we have in the party. So to have you guys both in the same state running simultaneously is going to be really awesome. Yeah, and uh, it, the great thing about <clears throat> Shane is is we both represent the broad spectrum of libertarianism. Uh, mm -hmm. We are both principled 
libertarians who have our, our entire heart and soul rooted in the principles of liberty. And we communicate very differently from one another, which I think is wonderful and great because it shows the broad spectrum of this party. You know, uh, Shane speaks from his experience as a veteran and from his life experience. And I speak from my life experience, which is a different thing. But we can both at the end of the day say we are principled libertarians and we fight for the freedom and inherent rights of every individual. And I will say our state party, Libertarian Party of Georgia, is a great example of what can be done when uh, a lot of times we put aside the BS and just start working together. And, uh, and we're growing as a party and we're getting more organized and we're going to run more races. And we just won a federal lawsuit to uh, lower the ballot access threshold for Congress. So hopefully I won't be the last Ooh. candidate for U.S. House that we see coming up um, because, you know, basically before it was at least 20,000 signatures to get on a congressional ballot, which is Jesus. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and of course, that means 30 or 40,000 because they're going to knock a bunch off. Um, and, and that's that's been an insurmountable uh, you know, yeah. thing. And we just want in court to lower it. So we're going to see what that threshold is eventually. But uh, we're looking forward to running many, many more candidates for uh, for Congress in the future. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, we're having that problem in New York right now. We have a few New York City candidates and they're all getting challenged currently. All of them getting challenged by the Republican Party interestingly enough, uh, fuck Republicans. And it's, yeah, it's it's a never ending battle for third parties. It's like the second you think that you might have a chance and you might have something going, you know, we got ballot access with Larry Sharp and then it took him less than a year to fix that problem. Yeah, you know, as, as the more we grow and the faster we grow, uh, the more the powers that be are gonna start trying to use legislation to, uh, to keep us down. And it's important that we do things like these lawsuits. You know, it was, it costs money for our state party to, you know, to, to fund a lawsuit. And we fundraised off that and we worked very hard to get that done and it served its purpose. And so as we grow as a party, we're going to have to organize uh, the courts and basically take them to court and say, you know, what you're doing is basically monopolizing the political arena. And uh, if we start doing that from the state and local level on up, Perhaps one day we can get it to a federal court and a federal uh, case where we can actually have our presidential and vice presidential candidates in the debates. Um, but we have to set those precedents first. So I, I think this Georgia lawsuit is a great first step to that. And it's something that future lawsuits can use to, uh, you know, to uh, try to get us on the ballot and make it easier for libertarians to have their voices heard. Yeah, that's that's an, a, an incredible problem. Uh, and it's good that we're actually making some headway with it getting people to qualify for a few of the debates last year was kind of was a, a really big deal we had uh, a few congressional candidates here in new york that actually qualified for their debates and uh, actually did them and by almost every metric won them uh and we normally do when a libertarian's on stage it's very rare that the audience leaves and doesn't go oh shit i'm a libertarian Oh, yeah. Well, I can speak to that a little bit, you know, running for Congress in a special election to fill the remainder of John Lewis's term. Um, the fifth district in Georgia is about the bluest district in the southeast, if not the entire country. And I'm running against five Democrats and one independent who is basically a Democrat. Um, and I did over two dozen forums. And I can tell you, you know, because it's on Zoom, right? You know, you see like mm -hmm. it's like the Brady Bunch. You see like nine different heads <laughs> in the screen. And uh, it's very encouraging that as the libertarian is talking, you start seeing like the Democrats nodding their head like, oh, yeah. And then you see in the comments like, yeah, this libertarian's making some sense. I didn't know about all this, <laughs> you know, and uh, and a lot of these 
folks who were watching these forums had never gotten to see a libertarian candidate in a debate or a forum like firsthand, uh, especially alongside Democrats. And I was pushing issues in that race that were challenging the Democrats. Like I, in the first forum, I was the only candidate that said, we need to end cash bail. There's half a million people who are in jail right now across the, all over the country who uh, are technically presumed innocent. Most of them are there for victimless drug crimes. They should be allowed to be out of jail so they can go back home and work and continue to provide for their families instead of being in jail, costing the taxpayer. And, uh, you know, I brought that issue up. And by the fourth or fifth uh, forum, that started becoming a campaign issue. And that started being something they were talking about when they talked about criminal justice. And I believe that's because I started forcing that issue. And, uh, you know, I was very proud of that. I was very proud of the positive impact I had on the race. I did not win that race, obviously. But what I did do is I came uh, I came prepared to help people have a more positive impression of what a libertarian is, that we don't just seem like in the city of Atlanta, we don't just seem like Republicans who smoke weed. You know, I wanted to show right. a positive impression. So that way, next time when a libertarian runs in Atlanta or mayor or city council, people go, I remember the libertarians. Those are good people. They mm -hmm. fight for me. So uh, that, that was my goal. And I think I did that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's. What, the one thing that we've definitely been able to claim plenty of wins on is changing the narrative to what it's supposed to be uh, and actually getting something fixed. Sometimes don't have as that many wins in that area, but, but there's some and they're, they're good. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, a lot of the people that I talk to from outside of outside of my state, especially on the show are like state chairs. So I'm curious what, uh, what it's like being a, a chair for a city party and getting to actually kind of localize the work. Awesome. So, uh, you know, our part, our affiliate actually is, we're trying to grow it right now because, um, you know, we had, we had a nice steady group of people, like a, a group, like basically about 10 to 12 folks that were coming on the regular and uh, the pandemic just kind of put a halt to all that. And then also me running kind of muddled that for a little bit. So right now we're trying to technically rebuild our affiliate, but the focus that I'm having as the city chair uh, of Atlanta is on getting out into the community and directly touching the community. And so right now, for instance, um, we have a GoFundMe up. If you go to my, uh, if you go to my uh, Twitter at chase for Liberty, it's the pinned tweet right now. We're doing a fundraiser to raise money for care packages for the homeless in Atlanta. So that way we can create these care packages and go out and show the spirit of mutual aid and volunteerism, but also actually just literally touch the community. So that way people in the community know that the Libertarian Party of Atlanta, A, exists, and B, that we are a caring, uh, empathic force for good in our community. So it's not just about, and, and while we care about legislation and we're going to fight back against, you know, the Atlanta police when they overstep their boundaries or when eminent domain tries to steal people's home in People's Town, Atlanta, we'll be there to stand up for them. And we have been in the past. Um, but we're also going to make sure that we are a community force for good. We clean up a park once a month uh, and we and we try to make sure that folks see, again, a good impression of what a libertarian is. And I think that's what you can do as a local affiliate. And that helps support your state party, because at the end of the day, if people see the local affiliate doing good work in the community, that gives a better impression of the state party, the national party and really the liberty movement as a whole. Because oh, yeah. uh, the negative stereotype we get all the time is that we're selfish, right? Mm -hmm. And the way you combat that is to do good and provide mutual aid and volunteerism in your community. That's a direct way to combat it. And I'll say uh, running a positive race helps too. You know, I ran a positive race 
And $150 that we've raised of that fundraiser came from one of my Democratic opponents because I gave him a direct ask. And he knew that I was serious about being a good force in my community and that I, wasn't, awesome. that I wasn't just trying to bullshit when I ran for office. And so that being an authentically good person kind of helps, uh, you know, even if you don't agree with somebody politically, they can help what? you with that community service. Being a good person is a good idea? Yeah. Shocker. That should I, be I rule number I one. Buy it. Yeah, rule number one for being a candidate, I believe, is to be uh, a good, per you know, empathic person and someone who mm -hmm. can approach even people that you disagree with with a level of respect. Um, you know, you, you don't have to respect their politics and you can absolutely challenge their ideology. But at the end of the day, um, if you just basically go, you're an asshole, they're not going to listen to you. Uh, and, and if you tell their, the guy you voted for four years ago is a complete asshole and he's terrible and there's nothing good about him, there's nothing redeeming about him. You just throw them in the dirt. Oh, and vote libertarian. They're not at that point. They're not listening to you. What you have to do is like Spike Cohen says, you have to approach people where they are and you have to say, I understand you're struggling with, uh, with education for your kids. Let's talk about ways that we can improve education. That doesn't involve just throwing more money, uh, in the public school system, which shows to be a waste. Like the more money we throw, it doesn't improve anything. So let's talk about ways that we can do it without throwing more money at public schools. Let's talk about school choice. And you approach somebody from there or, you know, uh, when it comes to foreign policy, would you want somebody to drop a bomb on your apartment building? Then why do we allow that to happen with our drone bombs all over the world with our name on it? We have literal blood on our hands, all of us. And for us to atone for that, we have to demand action from our government. And, uh, you know, that's the truth of it. And yeah. if I were to run for Senate, that's my biggest message is that we, all of us, have to challenge the cult of the omnipotent state because right now they're committing murder all over the world and it's murder being done in our names, whether we like it or not. And so we have to stand up and say, we do not like it. We, we do not consent to this. And uh, if we, all of us organize that movement, it's time we do it again. You know, there was an anti-war movement in this country until 2009 when Barack Obama became president and that dissolved because really that anti-war movement was the Democrats, uh, latching on to anti-war movement to harm George W. Bush, not to yep. end wars. And, and that's the big lie that was told by Barack Obama when he ran for president. And that's what made me a libertarian because I was tired, I was sick and tired of bullshit. Really? So were you a, were you a fan of Obama prior to that? Oh, I was a big Democrat back in the day. I, I mean, even when I was a teenager, you know, before my voice even dropped, I was phone banking for Al Gore and like people thought I was a woman on the phone. <laughs> so I, I was a I was a dyed in the wool blue Democrat. Uh, mm -hmm. I I wrote John Kerry in two thousand four and said, "If you get rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I'll join the military and fight him in Iraq." You know, uh, that was me. You know, and then and then I started seeing more and more about what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then I had friends who I had gone to school with, who had come back from serving, and they told horror stories. And I could see the effect it was having on them just in their face. They looked. You know, we were 20 and 21 and they looked 10 years older than me because of the stress that was on their face from having to be in those war zones. And I thought to myself, Jesus, I cannot condone and I cannot accept people that I went to school with and people that I know and my generation being forced over and over and over again to go into these war zones and to see these atrocities and to feel this stress and to put their lives at risk for what? And, and now we're at 20 years later, you know, um, one of my best friends in high school we used to babysit her niece. Her niece was born on the 12th of September, 2001. Her mom 
went into labor on 9-11, stress-induced, and gave birth the next day. And it's really sad that this girl, who is now, um, you know, she's she's over 20 now, uh, she is never lived in a world where the United States is not at war in the Middle East. And that's that's messed up because now there are kids her age. Her dad could have fought in the war, and now mm-hmm. she's old enough to fight in the war. And that's never happened before in her history. And it's not the norm. It's the exact opposite of the norm. And we have to wake people up to that. And uh, and if I were to be a candidate for the United States Senate, you can believe you're going to hear anti-war, anti-war, bring the troops home every single time I speak because it's the thing I'm most passionate about. And it's the thing that I feel like America is becoming apathetic to because they don't have skin in the game unless they're a member of the military. And they... They gave a lot to Gary Johnson. They gave a lot to Joe Jorgensen and a lot more. If you look at the military vote percentage wise, a lot more military voted than the general population for Gary and for Joe. And that's something to be proud of because these are people who are actually in the shit. And uh, they understand that there are people out there who are fighting to bring them home. And yeah. we, need to, we need to continue to advocate, be advocates to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I ruffled a couple feathers yesterday. Uh, on Memorial Day, because I I did a little live stream yesterday that that a lot of people didn't appreciate. And honestly, I I really just don't care whose feathers I ruffle because like, like you're saying, like, this is such a big issue. And we as a country have become so apathetic to it, to the point where will get mad even li- like all of the shit i got yesterday was from libertarians i went live on my personal facebook account which i never do but i added the stream to that so that all of my neocon christian conservative friends could see it and none of them got mad at me just libertarians and and it's like we're so indoctrinated to the point where like even if we're loud anti-war activists we'll still like take a day off and be like, oh well, well today we're gonna be we're gonna be good and and we'll we'll appreciate the the murder that we do overseas and we'll celebrate the deaths of of multiple people and I and I understand like the what Memorial Day was supposed to be and I agree with that like the actual like honoring and remembering the people that were lost is a is an important thing. But that's not what we do anymore. We eat hot dogs and we buy mattresses and we watch parades and eat candy and and maybe post like something sentimental on Facebook at some point in time throughout the weekend. And it's just it's not about owning up the, the human cost of war. It's just about like saying saying our, our phrases that we have to say and then moving on with our lives. And it's it's sad. Yeah. Well, you know, I would agree with you there. I think, you know. Uh, you ever had that friend who's like, man, I just don't like Christmas because they've over-commercialized it. It's all about Santa Claus and buying gifts. It's not the original message of whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about Memorial Day a lot. You know, the day is supposed to be, uh, you know, Labor Day is the same way in its own way. But uh, Memorial Day is supposed to be a day where we are honoring those who sacrificed their lives and, and memorializing those. And I think... First off, people confuse it with Veterans Day a lot. They start thanking the veterans. And really, what veterans want to hear, honestly, I think most is, we want to stop having so many dead soldiers. That should be the message of every Memorial Day. Memorial Day should be a day where we celebrate fighting for peace around the world. 
where we say, this is not what we need the military to be doing. And there are people who are dead right now. You know, every Memorial Day and then several times throughout the year on the anniversary of these people's deaths, I have to see, again, many friends who served in the military. And uh, I have to see them, you know, they post these heart-wrenching posts about like, you know, I saw him that morning. I know what we ate for lunch that day. I remember every single word that happened and like that, my friend's dead. Mm-hmm. And like those stories are ones that need to be told less in the world. You know, I say all the time, we should seek a world that is free from rule, uh, free from war and not a world that is defined by it. And that's what we're living in right now. We're living in a world that is defined by war. And that is this post 9-11 world where we have to say, well, they attacked us 21 years ago and 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. We have to keep fighting, you know, and, and to me, it's like, okay, so we've been on this path of insanity for 20 years. It's not gotten better. Yeah, sure. We have not, we have not had another 9-11 in 20 years, but guess what? We didn't have like a 9-11 for like how many years before 9-11? Right. Before we were fighting all over the world and drone bombing everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, I just, you know, I, I think it's high time that if we want to honor the dead and we want to honor veterans, Memorial Day should be a day where we are shouting to the rooftops to end war. And I will tell you this right now. Um, I will be happy to be part of any organized movement next Memorial Day that is an anti-war march. I think that's what we need to do. I think that's what oh, libertarians yeah. should do. If you're a libertarian affiliate, um, next Memorial Day, organize a march and have giant pictures of flag-draped coffins and say, this is what we're here to remember mm-hmm. because that's the truth. We need to bring troops home, not coffins. And I, I think that's a message that needs to be heard loud and clear that we're not hearing anymore. Because again, nobody's skin is in the game unless they're directly involved in the military. It's not like World War II where like the car factories are shut down and mm-hmm. and you know we're, we're collecting scrap metal and we're, we're old newspaper to stuff into shells. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're not doing that. Yeah. And so people just kind of forget that we're, we've been at war for 20 years and it's sad. And Guantanamo is still open. We're still committing human rights abuses in Cuba right now. Uh, and if any other country were doing it to our citizens, we'd be going to war over it. We would be absolutely outraged. We would be demanding justice at the UN. We would be, you know, we would be shouting to the rooftops if, if Russia had uh, a prison where they were keeping, you know, uh, Americans accused of a crime that had never faced a court date and, and just extrajudiciously just been stuck there for. And you can say these people are probably bad people, right? They're probably pretty shit people. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's pretty, I want to say the chances of you that you're completely innocent of everything. If you're caught in the middle of a firefight in the middle of Afghanistan, that might be slight, but the chances that you still have to have a court date, right? You have to have human rights. You're still and innocent until proven guilty. And if you don't, you're a hypocrite. And that's what our government is right now. We have a government of hypocrites, liars, cheats, and grifters. That is what government is right now. And that is why I'm a libertarian. I wouldn't be a libertarian if the Democrat Party were complete shit, right? I would have, if if Obama had ended the wars and Guantanamo had closed and the hope and the change that everybody voted for it actually happened, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a good chance I probably wouldn't be a libertarian because I'd probably be satisfied. Who knows? But I'm a libertarian because broken promises were made and I happen to be walking through uh, Piedmont Park for Pride in 2010 and John Mon's Libertarian Party were there. I did their little find where you fall on this political test. And I realized I was a libertarian and uh, I've been one for, you know, over a decade now. Nice. So what, uh, what further pulled you into the land of Liberty actually got you involved? 
Uh, well, um, so my story is pretty simple. Uh, like I said, I was politically homeless, walking around Atlanta Pride, thinking I'll probably never vote for anybody ever again. Um, and John Mons, libertarians were there. And I got to talk with John and he, he convinced me to vote for him for governor. And I wasn't a self-identified libertarian until 2012 when the Gary Johnson uh, gray campaign was going on. And I got to finally hear from like a presidential candidate that I liked, you know, um, let's be frank, 2008's presidential candidate from the LP wasn't impressing anybody. Bob Barr was not really setting anybody's hair on fire. So, but Gary Johnson did. He was radically different. Uh, he talked about things like uh, having actual experience in governing and going, I've governed as a libertarian, even though I had a Republican, you know, the R next to my name, I was really a libertarian all along. And here's X, Y, and Z, Y. You know, he cut state employees. He, you know, never raised taxes. He funded all the, you know, he, he, he kept infrastructure and everything funded the way, you know, without raising those taxes. He, uh, he tried to pass an education plan that would have provided choice for students. He did all these things. I was like, oh, all this stuff's common sense. Why have people advocated for this? And, uh, and that got me more and more into the movement. And now really the thing that uh, impresses me the most is our criminal justice reform message. And that's the thing that really got me passionate about Spike and Joe, uh, you know, both of them. You know, I, w I was a John Mons Spike Cohen. That was my ticket uh, going into the convention. And then when Jorgensen got the nomination, I was like, hey, man, let's ride. Let's do this. You know, we got yeah. we got Joe and Spike. And uh, from then on, I was happy to see that they had a powerful criminal justice message. Um, and, you know, I'll say this. Um, you can be angry at Joe Jorgensen for some things during your campaign. That's fine. You can say there were missteps and there were problems. One thing that was not a misstep, and I will always say, is her tweet saying we should be actively anti-racist. Because, frankly... That divided some people, but to me, that's a message that needs to be heard because that we're the only party that is actively anti-racist. We actively want to give everyone their inherent rights, regardless of their color, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, or anything. We are yeah. being actively anti-racist when we push the actual libertarian principles which we hold. And uh, and you know, <laughs> yes, you can you can hold terrible terrible opinions and be free to do so. Mm -hmm. Just don't be part of my political party because it's going to help us having problems growing, in my opinion. But I think we need to be out there saying the government abuses people. There are systemic problems. And yeah, we need to grow the diversity in our party. We cannot be a party of middle-aged white dudes. It's just the truth. And if we want to, and if yeah. we want to speak to uh, different races, gender and sexual minorities, we have to go where they are and we have to speak to their issues. And, uh, Ending qualified immunity, advocating for that, advocating for ending cash bail, advocating for ending no-knock raids, you know, uh, ending this, what I call the uh, the Pentagon to police pipeline for equipment. That's things mm. that we can advocate for. We can grow coalitions and we can reach out. I've seen Spike Cohen do it. I've seen Spike Cohen walk into a group of Black Lives Matter protesters and walk out with their endorsement. Every libertarian candidate could do that in their community if they just mm -hmm. took the time to listen Recognize that not everything they say is 100% the correct thing that you can learn from other people. That's the most important thing. I've learned from so many people uh, throughout this movement. I've grown as a libertarian because I've listened to other libertarians and I've grown as a person because I've listened to people outside of the libertarian echo chamber and recognize mm -hmm. where their needs are and what their concerns are and then crafting a libertarian message around those concerns and needs. That's yeah. what we can all do as candidates. Every single person who's listening to this or watching this right now, you can be the change in your community, but you have to listen to people. 
and you have to come from a place of honesty and uh, and a place of empathy. If you don't do that, people will see through you in an instant, in an instant, and they will not listen to you. And and the reason being, and the reason why Democrats and Republicans can get away with being such shit people and getting away with being so inauthentic is because they have millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to be able to push propaganda down your throat. Libertarians do not have that advantage. But we're growing this party from the grassroots and from the ground up. So we have to be better. We have to be more disciplined, more empathic, and less full of shit. Mm-hmm. That's how we win. Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I talk about this a lot. But uh, when I ran for city council in New York City in 2019, uh, basically all of the support that I got was from actual communists, like straight up communists. We're talking like Extinction Rebellion, Sunrise Movement, BLM, No New Jails. Like these are outspokenly communist organizations like i had lots of arguments and conversations but like half of them are anarcho-communists and just don't quite realize it yet uh and the rest of them were still fine with someone who was running for city council on a platform of criminal justice reform uh like and uh like ending corporate subsidies ending all like fossil fuel usage by the city yeah okay yeah, they can a they can disagree with the Democrats and Republicans one hundred percent of the time, or they can disagree with you, the Libertarian, like on economics and some other stuff, but really agree with you on most of the other things. Right. And like that's a trade off I think a lot of people are willing to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell people all the time, um, <laughs> one of our biggest detriments is if we have a strategy that gatekeeps on the left or the right. Really, like I don't support racist voices or bigoted voices or those hardcore alt right douches. But if you're a former Republican who wants to come to libertarianism because you realize the Republican party is morally bankrupt, especially after January 6th, you know, um, welcome, come here, let's talk. Uh, if you're someone on the left who like me has realized that the Democrats are full of shit when it comes to ending wars or criminal justice reform or, you know, or helping small businesses or the, you know, that's the other thing. Uh, we really need to target communities of color because they are small business entrepreneurs and they're not being supported by the democratic party right now. Their votes are going to the democratic party, but their economic interests and their business interests are not being met by the democratic party. So we have to message to those people. We have to message to small business owners. Um, you know, and if you're someone who's coming to this party from the Democrats or from the left, welcome. Let's talk. If you're here, if you believe that the state is too big, it does too much to abuse the people and, uh, and we need to limit government's power and you believe that bigotry is irrational and repugnant, welcome to my party, welcome to the tent. It's a very large tent, find your place. There's some anarchists over here, there's some anarchists over here. These people call themselves classical liberals. These people call themselves ANCOMs, lib socias. These people call themselves, you know, whatever. Wherever yeah. you're, you're radical, you're pragmatic, whatever. You're in the party, mm-hmm. welcome. Let's get to yeah. work. Hell yeah, I, I'm 100% with it. And I, I think we have a very, skewed opinion as as a party and i'll i'll you know this is something that i've thought for a while and it's something that you hear from almost every single candidate in the party is like uh we want to we want to reach the people that aren't voting right how about we reach the people that really care and are already used to compromising a little bit and like are out here like rallying for things, but still held their nose and voted for Joe Biden. Cause most likely those people are willing to compromise and will probably compromise on the couple of things we disagree on and can vote for us. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to have everybody who's eligible to vote, get out and vote. Right. Like that'd be great. Right. Let's get all the non-voters. 
But the truth is, is it's a lot easier to convince somebody who's already voting to then vote for you than to convince somebody who's never voted to vote and vote for you. Yeah. So like there's two hurdles there as opposed to one. And mm -hmm. someone's regularly voting, you know, that shows that they are usually paying attention at least nominally. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's easier. You're right. If there's people who are disappointed with what Joe Biden's doing, we need to be actually messaging to the left right now and saying, if you're really disappointed in this Joe Biden guy, you need to come to us. Just like we messaged, we messaged the right all through Trump because we said, mm -hmm. if Trump is horrible and you think he's terrible, come on over with Justin Amash. He dumped the Republican party. You can dump him too. You know, and, and we need to be doing the same thing for Democrats. Um, you, you know, we're not going to agree with 100% of people on 100% of things. We're just not. I mean, libertarians don't even agree with libertarians. Go into any libertarian clubhouse or chat room or podcast or convention, mm -hmm. and you're going to see disagreements. Um, but at the end of the day, I, yeah, I know, right? But at the end of the day, we have to organize around you know, uh, fighting outside of the party and not inside mm -hmm. of the party. And exactly. I, I, and this is where, you know, I feel like there's a lot of this inner party strife and there's this inner party fighting. And I think what the parties involved need to do uh, from all fronts is like, we're in this Mexican standoff, right? Like in the movies mm -hmm. where everybody's got a gun pointed at each other. Yep. Uh, what we have to do is we have to immediately just all agree. Okay. We're all going to turn around and point the guns outward and do that. Um, but to do that, we have to stop, like, say, fundraising off of inter-party fighting, monetizing from hating. Like, that's not, at least from inside the party. I told mm -hmm. this when I was in Georgia. We want to monetize the haters, monetize the haters against the Democrat and Republican Party. That's who you need to fundraise against. Find people who are anti-war and fundraise off the shit policies of the Democrats and Republicans. And, uh, and, and if I were to um, be running a pack. I would be using that money and that ability to preach the libertarian message outside of the party because the people inside of the party are by and large, all principled libertarians. You can disagree with them on some things. And I think a lot of this comes down to disagreements on personality and that it really boils down to like, there's like five or 10 people who really just hate each other. Yep. And they're now like forming these ideological groups to go to war with each other. And I really think that what we should be doing is building a party. And I think what we have right now yeah. and is we have an LNC right now. People talk about unity all the time. We have a united, <clears throat> a united LNC right now. Every major caucus is represented in our LNC. The pragmatists, the Mises, the, the radicals, they all have a, a seat at the table in our LNC. And we've seen mm -hmm. so many unanimous or nearly unanimous votes that have happened with maybe one vote opposed. Or, or one person who just abstained or didn't vote, you know, they just let the time run out or whatever. And that's good. That's a good sign. And that's a signal that we have good leadership because the, the previous LNCs had had a lot more divisiveness and a lot more actual fighting on the LNC board level. And I think what we're seeing, you know, there will always be areas of disagreement and discourse. But what we're seeing right now is what an actual United Party can be doing. We have increased membership. We have increased uh, fundraising. We have these regional trainings that are being set up because the, when, when, when our current chair, Joe Bishop Henshaw, was elected, he asked people, what do you need? And the number one answer was, we need people. We need people who know what they're doing to help set up affiliates and help run campaigns. And to that end, we set up these regional trainings. Our budget, which is a balanced budget, of course, uh, you know, increased the candidate support funding from 1% of our budget to 10% of our operating budget. We have a tenfold increase in one year. 
You know, uh, we have paid off the mortgage of our headquarters, so we're not paying that down every month. So now we freed ourselves up. There are so many positive things that have been happening in this party that I think because of this infighting and because of talks of takeover or gatekeeping or what have you, we're losing sight of that we actually have a United Party right now. And that the party as it's functioning right now is doing its job. It is growing. We have more elected libertarians now than we did this time last year. That's a good upward trends all mm -hmm. along. And uh, I, I think if we want to continue infighting and continue trying to take over one another, we're going to squander all of that because we're about to go into an off year election. And that's important for coalition building. So that way, when we get to a presidential election in 2024, we're in the place we need to be. We cannot squander our opportunity right now, libertarians, because if we do, 2024 will be better than 2020, but it won't be where we need to be. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to focus on. We need to grow this party one step at a time, brick by brick. We are going to build upon our foundation of our principles, brick by brick. And eventually, we are going to be so up in the air, the view will be beautiful, the sky is the limit, and we will have libertarians elected in every state across the country. But to do that, we have to stop this fighting with one another. We have to put our weapons down yeah. and work towards winning elections. That's what we do as a party. Right. Yeah, I 100% I agree. A lot of people are very critical of the party or the LNC or the, the, whatever their state committee is. And a lot of it's like historic drama. You know, it's like, oh, we don't like the LNC because Johnson Weld. And it's like, th that was fucking five years ago. What are you, what are, what are we talking about here? There's been three LNC elections since we nominated Bill Weld as our vice president. Like, to the best of my knowledge, there's only like, what, two or three people still on the committee that were there back then? Like, it's, it's a completely different group. Like, Nick Sarwark isn't the chair anymore, guys. Like, it's a different group of people doing very different things and it's not whatever it is that you've made in your head is like the establishment. I mean, I, I'm not endorsing all of the incumbents for, for the LNC. Yeah. There are a couple of challengers that I prefer to the incumbents, but I am endorsing J JBH because he's been an amazing fucking chair so far. And I've only gotten to see a year of it and I want to see three more. Yeah. And I think, um, and, and I think folks need to understand that, you know, you're right. We're not the same LNC we were. Um, and if you want to fight old fights, if you if you have to rehash old battles and continue these fights um, to continue to make, you know, to continue to grow your group or grow your influence, you need to really check and see what the mission is of your group. Because if if you're if the purpose of your group is to grow through fighting within the party, that's not a really good thing. And I think and and. I, like, you know, elephant in the room here, you know, I think we all know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and let me just be frank. The Mises caucus is not all bad people. There are wonderful. We just talked about how wonderful Shane Hazel is. Shane Hazel is an excellent voice out of the Mises caucus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I work with all kinds of great Mises caucus people in my state. My deputy campaign manager for my congressional campaign. It's a Mises caucus guy. Uh, Tom Nichols, who I adore. He's over there at the uh, he's also in the LP Star Wars caucus. I love that guy. Yeah. You know, there, there are people genuinely it's it's really what I think is is like what is the focus and what is the and what is the guiding principle and where is that getting lost along the way somewhere in this constant infighting? Like 
And I feel like yeah. uh, I feel like other parties have done the same thing too. Like maybe they've gotten a little lost along the way, and people need to maybe sit back for a second. All the parties involved need to sit back for a second and say, "What are we doing here? What's our mission? Like, what are we? What's the focus here?" You've because you've piqued some interest. <laughs> okay, let's just go through this. Let's just go through the caucuses that there are because I see. Yeah, you're asking if there's a Star Wars. I started the Star Trek caucus, uh, which I'm going to say is the first major pop culture caucus outside of Waffle House. Um, but the Star Trek caucus, there's a Star Wars caucus, there's the Middle Earth caucus, uh, there is the Professional Wrestling caucus. Uh, I started the Fremen caucus, which is for Dune fans. Um, there's the RuPaul's Drag Race Libertarian Party caucus. Feel free to join all of these groups. They're all public on Facebook. And basically what we do is we share memes. Um, we meme about liberty and we kind of inject libertarian messaging into pop culture memeing. And so like my subtle way of doing this is like subtly intersecting the idea that libertarianism is like, you know, something that we can look at and, and push through pop culture in a way that's kind of fun and subversive and, you know, whatever. It, and I enjoy it. And it's just yeah. a fun place for libertarians who enjoy the same shit to get together. And, you know, I'm, I'm into all of that. So... I'm a huge. Nerd. Also, got to shout out uh, the seafood caucus. Is also we got the seafood caucus. There's the, the Cajun it, caucus. There's yeah, like, there's, so there's, there's a caucus for everything. Yeah, there's a trashy prom caucus that I'm now remember part that? of. <laughs> yeah, All so, the cool kids like, are. Yeah, so you know, there's caucuses for everybody, um, both you know, serious inner party working caucuses and fun pop culture cock uh, for everybody. Um, but you know that speaks to our big tent. It speaks yeah. to the fact that there's a lot of broad personalities and, and different things mm -hmm. within our party. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree. Uh, you know, obviously I've had my my fairly loud critiques of the Mises Caucus. Uh, I've also worked with a bunch of them and have tried to tried to stop both sides of this war. Uh, I think uh, you know. The sentence that you said before you actually named Mises Caucus kind uh, describes more more groups than just them. You know, now yeah. there are other groups that exist for the sole purpose of opposing the Mises Caucus. Now we have like the Cathedral Caucus that exists, and uh, you know we have other groups that have existed for the sole purpose of of opposing people for quite some time, uh, like the Fakertarians who I'm friends with literally all, almost all of their admins and like they're great people, but you know, it, it's been, it's been a culture within the party for quite some time. I think before even the Prags or the Mises caucus were formed in 2017, like we've been a, we've had a culture of infighting and, and trying to be the big man in this tiny fucking useless room of nobodies that isn't accomplishing anything. And it's, it's just a, a very silly goal, especially back then when we weren't really accomplishing anything. It's like fighting to be in charge of a party that's getting half of 1% is mm -hmm. not, it's not worth anyone's time. Yeah. Well, we had a, we had a giant Prague versus uh, radical before the, before the Mises versus whoever, mm -hmm. you know, before the Mises versus the non Mises or cathedral or whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, you know, I believe there was uh Prags and radicals fighting with one another. Um, you had people in the, um, you know, from the beginning of the party, there's been discourse and, and, you know, strategy about where we should go, who we should market to, how do we grow, you know, and that that's always going to exist to a certain point. Um, 
you know, I think, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's going to get solved overnight, you know, um, but I'm going to say this, you know, we have great people who are trying to defuse the war here. Mm -hmm. And then we have other people who are trying to not to, who want to continue this fighting. And I think the voices we need to listen to are the voices who are saying, we need to stop fighting and we need to start working towards liberty. Now, again, I'm going to preface this with saying there are people who I believe we should not be platforming and not be listening to and not be, you know, uh, giving voice to in this party. And I'll be frank. That's, and a lot of it is people that Mises puts on stage. I will never, ever accept unless he wants to apologize and say that a lot of the things he said was wrong and that his ideology of misogyny, anti-Semitism, and homophobia and transphobia was wrong. I will not be letting Hotep Jesus lead any part of my party. I will not let that happen just quietly. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The guy, he can be perfectly nice, but his rhetoric is very problematic and we have to challenge it and not just say, guys asking questions. That's not, that's not going to cut it to me. Mm -hmm. Like we have to challenge those people, but those who are not holding bigoted attitudes, who just want to work and who believe in Austrian economics, dude, I'm all for you. Austrian yeah. economics is pretty cool. Talk to Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knox County. He'll talk to you about Austrian economics till your head falls off. But you know what he never has to do? Say anything about bigotry, homophobia, anti-Semitism, any of that shit. Because that's not part of Austrian economics. That's not what Austrian economics is about. And, uh, and I do want to say this one final thing. Because, you know, I talk a lot about social issues. Uh, I'm a GSM person. You know, I'm the fundraising director for Outright Libertarians. We talk a lot about social issues. Mm -hmm. Okay, identity politics and virtue signaling, both those terms. Yes, it's identity politics. My identity. I will insert my identity into the politics, frankly. And if you have a problem with that, you're trying to erase my identity. And I'm sorry, that's not going to fly with me. And as far as virtue signaling, every single decision we make and every political position we hold signals some kind of virtue. When we yep. say we want to end wars around the world, that's setting a virtue of peace and that we, we, we seek nonviolence in our world. When we say we want to end the Fed, that's setting a virtue that we don't want, uh, uh, we don't want some non-governmental central authority to be controlling all of our currency and our financial marketplace. When we say, you know, uh, when we say choice in schools, we're, we're setting the virtue that we think that parents and teachers and students, not government, should be deciding how kids learn. Everything we do is a virtue signal. It only seems to be a problem when we're virtual, when we're signaling about people who are not like ourselves. And when we do that, when we take that time to say, oh, you're just virtual signaling identity politics, what you're doing is you're pushing people out of your space and saying, I'm not comfortable with talking about things that I am not or that I don't identify with. So let's just not talk about it. And that's not going to fly, frankly. Mm -hmm. It just won't. And if we want to grow our party, we want to grow our movement, we have to listen to people who we are not like who are not like us, because that's how we became libertarians. I was not a libertarian, and then I was one. We do yeah. not come out of the womb as libertarians saying taxation is theft. You know, like I think it, Dan Berman might. Maybe he did. He was also born with the hat on his head, so yep. there's that. Yes. But, um, but the truth is, is that we have to work towards growing liberty. And to do that, we have to work on being better people to other people. Mm -hmm. Chrissy Wicker said it right. Next training, uh, regional training, we do have to have how to be a normal person one-on-one a little bit for some of us. Because <laughs> uh, Chrissy because needs to take that. Jesus. <laughs> I love her to death. Yeah, girl, I feel you. But the truth is, 
is that we all, um, you know, a, a lot of us have been so stuck in the eco chamber or the echo chamber rather for so long that um, we're, we forgot how to talk to people who aren't necessarily libertarians yet. Yeah. And that needs to be the people we need to talk to the most because they're the voices that we need to reach to grow. Yeah. I was in a, a clubhouse room, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before with Spike, and we were talking about the, the non-hyperbolic, just over percentage of right brain, like actual like engineers and technical people that are in the party. Uh, it is it is a very large majority of the party is made up by by people whose actual day jobs are engineering. Like like they're not. It's not uh, like I said, non hyperbolic. Um, and I I think that that is part of the issue that you're speaking to here. There are people who who don't listen to feelings or or the identity politics side of things. That 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 doesn't hit them at all. Like it just doesn't get anywhere with them because they don't think like that. They're very just like logical. Just tell me the facts and then I might vote for you or I might not. And because we have a lot of good ideas and good facts and we can have like deep philosophical conversations, we've turned a bunch of people in that group already to libertarianism, but we haven't had the messaging that you're talking about to hit to the rest of the population that literally only votes on identity politics. I, there, there are people out there that just all they do is vote on, did this person make me feel good in the five minutes that I talked to them? That's all they care about. And we haven't hit that market really as a party that much. Yeah. Retail politicking is something that we need to learn a little bit better as a party. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part about it is, is we have to speak our principles in a language that people understand. Sometimes when, uh, even when I'm, you know, I'm a libertarian for over a decade. And sometimes when I see some libertarians talk, it, they might as well be speaking Chinese. Like my eyes start glazing over. Like, I, I, let me just say this, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've read some Hayek, I've read some Milton Friedman, you know, listen to their audiobooks, but, uh, I'm not going to be quoting them on a debate stage because most people don't know who that is. And most yeah. people don't want to take the time to, you know, if Hayek said this, like who the hell's Hayek? Um, you know, you have to speak libertarian principles in what I call kitchen table language. Yeah. And I will say that's something that Democrats and Republicans are very good about. They are very good about taking their message, however shitty it may be, and <laughs> speaking it to a language that people understand at the kitchen table. And yeah. that's something we have to do as libertarians. We have to combat it there. Because again, reaching people where they are, nobody cares who, you know, Milton Friedman was or Hayek or Sowell or or you know, any of them. Any of those yeah. big names out there who we all, you know, at every convention you see their face on a shirt and you know, right, you know, Hayek with Hayek or whatever. You know, and it's whatever. Yeah. Um, well, that's good and all for us who are like on the inside and the knowledge and the know. But for most people, they're like, I don't know who that guy is. It's just some random old white dude on a on a shirt. Okay. Um, tell me about how you're gonna like help me afford my drug my my prescription drugs that I need. Tell right. me how you're gonna like help me keep food on the table for my family by providing a robust economy. Like these are the things that people need to understand, uh, and those are the things we got to talk about. Um, yeah. And, and for the record, this isn't dumbing down the message. That's no. which is the critique that that we that at least I hear the most about the the actual like actual politics within the LP. It's like uh, it's that we're watering down the message. And if, if I have to attack it from a different 
point of view to get it through to somebody, that's not watering down the message, that's empowering it. That's yeah. the only way the message actually gets through to this person. And sometimes you have to, you, sometimes you have to speak the message in a way that, that you're right, like people understand, like a uh, great example. I did a forum with young Democrats uh, in last year when I was running for office. And of course they know I'm a libertarian, right? I'm pro second amendment. And they wanted to get me with a gotcha question on guns. And so they said something to the effect of, well, you libertarians support everybody owning a gun. So what are you going to do? You know, you're not going to do anything to stop school shootings. And uh, so how do you feel about gun violence? And uh, I kind of flipped the script and I said, you know, well, people are going to do bad things regardless. But I do believe at the end of the day, it's plainly stated in the Constitution, we have the right to self-defense. But if we're going to be talking about gun violence as a legislator and as a member of Congress, I would be most concerned with the gun violence that's done while someone is wearing a badge on their chest. Because as an elected official, it's those people who are committing acts of violence with my say-so, with my okay, and with my taxpayer money. And that's something that as a legislator, I would be fighting against. And I basically flip the script off of guns are bad, to police are shitty. Mm -hmm. And that's the way, you know, and I, and I felt like, and even a lot of people were like, oh, wow, that, you know, that's something I wanted to hear. Yeah. And, um, and it's not being unprincipled at all. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I believe people have a right to self-defense. The constitution plainly agrees with me. Here's the violence we do need to worry about and the violence that's being done that is really wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think if we can preach the message in that way, mm -hmm. we win. More often than not, maybe not my race, but you know, future races. Future, for sure. Uh, yeah, and we also have to be okay to like agree to disagree. Um, and that doesn't mean like at the end of a conversation, just like walk away. I mean, like at the beginning of the conversation, because what you're talking about there, like it would be very easy for you to have gotten caught up in your reactionary defensiveness and been like, oh no, guns are fine. Like, uh, I have to defend my position on guns. No, you don't. <laughs> you just don't. It's not a necessity in that moment. What you needed to do is what you did and change the conversation and win some people over. Defending your stances is not always the best use of your time. In fact, it rarely is. Yep. It's more important to actually reach the voter and make them agree with you 90% of the time than to argue over the 10% where they're going to dissent from you. Um, and I think, you know, another thing that I did was when I ran, I ran on the out institutional outrage that some people were feeling about the Democratic Party at that moment. Um, it's a long story short, but essentially uh, there was a lot of kerfuffle about how the candidate got in the November ballot uh, to actually serve the full two terms after John Lewis's term ended. Um, and I told Democrats all the time, hey, if you're upset about how that went down, a real good way to protest that is to vote for the Libertarian for who would be in office for two months. Like, you know, uh, how much damage could I possibly do, right? How much, <laughs> how much state could I possibly tear down in two months? Um, but, you know, uh, so vote for me as a protest. Um, I like that. And I will say, I want more people to be candidates and more people to get out in their community. And uh, and, and one of the most enriching things about being a candidate was uh, I was out uh, literate, lit dropping and we were all wearing masks. It was the height of the pandemic. And this guy comes up and he's like, oh man, is Chase here? Is Chase here? And uh, my campaign was like, that's him over there. He walked up and he goes, I just want you to know I saw you in a forum the other day and I decided to vote for you and I voted early for you. Out of the blue, that guy walked up in the middle of Atlanta, in the middle of a city of hundreds of thousands of people. You know, um, He walked up and saw my table and shook my hand and said, I'm glad I got to vote for you. Now, uh, 
and I hope to, I hope to have that feeling. It's a very enriching feeling. And I think more people need to get out and be candidates or get on campaigns. And uh, I do want to say kind of circling back to what we talked about at the beginning of this whole thing. If you're in a region and you can get to this regional training from the LP national, do it. It is free. It is free training. It will help you. It will help your affiliate. It will help your campaigns. Do it, do it, do it. It is, this is the human energy that will, that will supercharge this party that, that is going to keep us going. And I will say this resource um, provided by the national party is something that is really awesome. So um, I encourage everybody to get out and do it. I might actually myself go to another one so that I can do the affiliate track if I can make it work with my schedule. So I might be in the Norfolk or Shreveport one. Nice. Nice. I will, I will hopefully be attending two or three. Um, because yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that need learning. <laughs> so I, I actually, I didn't realize until this morning that, uh, that we scheduled this on the first day of pride month, um, and not a gimmick, but what's something I really wanted to talk about anyway was, uh, was outright and what you guys are doing over there. So oh, yes. tell me a little bit about that. So, um, so yeah, I am the <laughs> fundraising director of outright libertarians. Uh, you can check out our website at outrightusa.com. And Outright Libertarians is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to bridging gaps between the Libertarian Party and the GSM or gender and sexual minority community. Now, we say GSM um, because it's a lot easier than LGBTQIA. It just, it's three letters, GSM. So, um, but Outright Libertarians, we are um, dedicated to. Um, making sure that the Libertarian Party is uh, sending the most inclusive messaging that they can towards the GSM community. We seek to educate candidates who might maybe not be so familiar with GSM issues, who maybe they're a little uncomfortable like asking, well, come ask us. If you're open and honest, we're willing to answer questions. You know, um, that's part of the reason why we're there is to help educate. And then also to show the GSM community that the Libertarian Party has been with them since our founding in 1971, since the blood of Stonewall was barely dry, the Libertarian Party has been supporting GSM people and their inherent rights from the very beginning. Um, and, and as we celebrate pride, I want libertarians, you know, I see some libertarians again with the identity politics stuff. You know, Libertarian Party put out a tweet today affirming that they're supporting Pride Month and there were some people in the comments having a problem with that. Well, let me just say this. Pride is in June for a reason, and that reason is, is because in June 1969, there was a bar called the Stonewall Inn that police tried to raid, and GSM people in that bar stood up and said, no more. This is our space. This is our liberty, and this is our life, and we are not letting police take this from us. You've pushed us out of our regular society. You've forced us in these little mafia-owned shithole bars. You're not going to push us out of that even further. And now, you know what? We're not even demanding just to stay in our bar anymore. We want to be part of society. We're going to push ourselves into the mainstream, whether you like it or not. And it was an act of defiance against an authoritarian police state. That's, that, that is what set off pride. Pride is a libertarian celebration of freedom. Every person should know that. Hmm. And that is why we need to be making outreach into the GSM community, because our modern gay liberation, queer liberation movement is rooted in fighting back against an authoritarian state. Plain and simple. 
And it's because of those people who stood up that I'm able to be a candidate, be able to be out and proud of who I am and not have nearly the fear of violence or persecution that those people faced. It's because of the more Harvey Milks and the people in the past that allow me to be the Chase Oliver I am today. And it's something worth celebrating. And for people to be like, it's just identity politics. Again, it's my identity. And it's the identity of millions and millions of people and their families and friends around the world. So we need to say, you know what? We are going to stand up and celebrate this fight for liberty against an authoritarian police state. We've been with you all along. Stonewall means fight back against government. And that's the message that we should be sending every pride, every time. And that's why outright libertarians exist. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I love that. I, I was very, ple uh, very blessed to be able to actually march in the 50th anniversary pride in 2019 as a candidate at the time. And, uh, I also hang out in, in that neighborhood pretty consistently for the three years that I lived in New York. I used to go to Stonewall all the time. I'm a hundred percent straight, but I love gay bars. They're more fun. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're just, they just are, it's just a better time. It's an objective fact that people can argue with me in the comments about it's it. Better music, better drinks, better entertainment. Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get a drag show at a straight bar. So, right. you know, all around good stuff. Right. And also like, uh, as a dude, like your self-confidence is skyrocketing because you've got people hitting on you, which isn't really a thing at normal bars. <laughs> yeah. It's always nice. Uh, you know, my, my straight military friends, they always love going to the bar in uniform because it's like free drinks all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, you dress yeah. as a sailor, you're pretty popular in, in the gay bar. <laughs> and we're back. Okay. Can you still hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Cool. I just hit and unplugged both my camera and my microphone simultaneously like a genius. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was very excited to see Outright become a thing um, and some of the people that you guys have uh, involved there and really like getting people in, getting people involved in the, in the movement in general and giving them a, a place to actually put their effort and channel that because the party itself wasn't necessarily giving the avenue to really do this messaging and this marketing and education at the time and it, it was it's great to see that we have a place for some of these people to actually be able to to put in the work and and do this messaging and uh you mentioned like educating people who might not be comfortable with it like that that's one of the most important parts because it's awkward to talk about, especially if you're not in the community, because uh, a lot of times people get mad at you for like not knowing things. You know, I've definitely asked questions uh, that got me cursed out or, or ostracized or like literally kicked out of bars because because I just like asked what I thought was a genuine question and turned out to be offensive because I should have already known the answer. And it's important to not have that kind of uh, atmosphere. Like you need, if you want people to be able to like run on these kinds of issues or speak on these kinds of issues, or even like understand these kinds of issues, you need to be able to talk about them. Not everyone grew up in this community. Yeah, even just be able to understand the terminology, you know, like the as a candidate, there's a good chance, especially if you're running in something that's statewide or for a federal office, 
you're going to be asked about GSM issues. There's currently like uh, bills that affect the trans community in over 30 state houses. So in over 30 states, that's a campaign issue that could be popping up for you if you're running for a state legislature seat or for a governor's seat, or even if you're running for a city council that's like putting up a non-discrimination uh, statute or whatever. So like there are um, there are areas where you know you just need to know the terminology a little bit. And uh, I will say this, as a member of Outright Libertarians, if you come to me in good faith with questions, I'm happy to answer them. I'm not an expert on any means on, for instance, uh, being trans or non-binary because I am a cisgender man, uh, meaning I am not trans. Uh, so, but I'll be happy to try to help answer any questions or any concerns people might have. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that uh, we also seek to make our platform um, definitely more attractive to GSM people. Um, one of the things that was um, on the platform committee that just didn't get around because we spent a whole day arguing over who could vote in uh, Orlando um, was the gender autonomy plank, which would basically say that you own the right to your body to express yourself however you see fit and that no government or business or anyone else has the right to own your self-expression and your body than you. And uh, that speaks not only to trans people, but it speaks to like medical freedom and bodily autonomy in that regards. You know, you have the right to life, the right to, to medical decisions, all that stuff, because it's your body. So uh, I think a bodily autonomy plank is something that I would have be really happy to see us talk about in Reno. Um, I'll happily debate folks on it and argue why we do need to put it in our platform that people own their bodies. And that that's something that the libertarians should own as messaging. Yeah. I will say uh, something that's been really encouraging as far as the Liberty Unity thing goes is watching a bunch of Mises Caucus people quote the the current plank of we condemn bigotry as uh, repugnant and irrational and repugnant. Irrational and repugnant, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, watching Dave Smith quote that a couple times kind of gave me some, some nice warm fuzzy feelings because hey. wasn't expecting that from very many people. It's a welcome. It's a welcome turnaround from the stereotype, right? And uh, mm -hmm. if, if folks want to continue breaking that stereotype and actually seeking to have a party that is free of bigotry, um, and then working towards taking down the cult of the omnipotent state, I would welcome that. Yeah. I would welcome that. And if there are folks who feel like maybe um, they are mischaracterized, or maybe they have said or done things in the past that might give a false impression, um, own up to it. Fess up. Say it. Say, I'm sorry. Say, I said something stupid. Say, that was bad messaging. I'm wrong. It's never a problem to say you're wrong. That's never going to be a problem with people. I was wrong and I've learned. I've grown as a person. These are things that are actually positive things. And if you're shitting on people for saying stuff like that, then you really have issues because, uh, you know, we all should be seeking to grow as people and learn more and learn from life experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could say this right now. Um, if we just, wrote off everybody who had homophobic opinions, right? Um, I would have written off my own mother as a teenager because my mom was an extremely conservative Christian person and for years struggled with the fact that she had a gay son, but through time and education and really my brothers going to her and saying, you know, you really should knock this off. Uh, and her looking deep within herself, she grew as a person. Now she's one of the greatest allies I have in my life. She's like one of my biggest supporters um, and someone I really look to. And if I wrote them off, uh, if I wrote my mom off, then I would miss out on a great relationship in my life. So we need to not write people off, um, but also demand that, you know, you learn and educate yourself. You don't just 
let people get away with everything either. You do have to challenge opinions. And right. that's the other thing. It, it's, it's not wrong to challenge opinions. Um, I think that's why we have things like elections. That's why we, um, you know, that's why we have LNC elections or board elections or affiliate elections or whatever that exists so that we can challenge maybe bad messaging or bad actors and put better messengers and better actors in place. And I think that's a good strategy for our party and our movement and, and going forward is to, you know, look for those who are going to be constructively building and not yeah. tearing each other down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You touched on a, a really important point there of like, we can't, we can't write these people off. Uh, but we also can't just like necessarily, we're not accepting them completely as is either. There's a nice little middle ground of like they're learning and that, that ha that's, as far as uh, what we're talking about here with like homophobic opinions or like racist opinions, or even just like statist opinions. We have a problem with that a lot of times as a, as a group too. Uh, sometimes people are going to be wrong. Sometimes people are going to be, uh, you know, miseducated or have different life experiences than we do. Like I grew up in a town where there was only one black family and they were like super religious Christian homeschoolers that like, you know, they, they didn't exactly expose me to the quote unquote black community at all. Right. They were, they were more white than I was. And it was, so I, I was eight, 19 before I really like actually got to experience other cultures or other races. And I grew up pretty kind of fucked up. Like I was, we were one of those families that like locked our doors when we drove through the bad, the bad neighborhood in Syracuse. And you know, that that's how I was raised. I'm not like that anymore. You know, thankfully my adult life allowed me to travel the world and the country and meet a lot of people of a lot of different groups and realize that if there's a race I dislike, it's up mine because sometimes white mm -hmm. people suck and we don't make good food. Uh, uh, the truth is, yeah. The truth is, is that you have <laughs> to be seeking to grow and learn mm -hmm. and not just expect other people to grow and learn to you. And, and that, and that is part of it is like, you have to accept that people are not going to be a hundred percent correct with things and that you're right. But you also have to recognize that you, you can easily recognize that you came from an experience that was not what most people would consider to be, you know, uh, well-rounded, let's say, right. Yeah. And fully informed of the black experience. Um, and I don't think anybody with, our skin pigment is going to be fully informed of the black experience. Honestly, we could <laughs> go through that all day, but the truth is, is that um, we have to be willing to know that people are not going to be hundred percent correct all the time, but be willing to engage in discourse. And also, but, but those folks who are coming in to the party have to also understand that. Yeah. That there, there are going to be certain people who hold very principled opinions who are not going to agree with you on something. That's not meaning that you can't come in. Okay, so you, you believe in something that is statist or whatever. Fine, come on in. The, the difference being is I think we have a free association of a party and the reason why we, we call out bigotry the way we do as an organization is you can hold bigoted attitudes, sure, and you're free to do that as a person. But if we wanna grow our organization and we want our organization to reflect the values of libertarianism, we have to demand that bigotry is not held up in leadership of our party, as an example for our party, as a messenger for our party. Yeah, you can come in and you can learn from us. Don't lead us though. Don't mm -hmm. expect to lead us because that's not gonna happen. And I think, um, you know, and, and that's the opinion that a lot of 
people have, and they and because of that, they're called gatekeepers. And I don't think that's gatekeeping. That is just demanding accountability uh, for leadership and for our members. Yeah, yeah, we can have different thresholds for members and for leaders. That's that's a pretty normal thing. That I think uh, both both sides of of the war, to call it anything else, uh, it, it kind of forgets that because both groups are, are doing similar things where, you know, where the, um, you, a lot of nobody in the meet or I won't say nobody, the people that I know in the Mises caucus that I talked to, you know, most of them don't want that. Most of them agreed with, would agree with everything that you just said. Um, but you know, there might still be marketing to a group of people that other people don't like. Uh, and, the idea of even bringing them in, even like wanting them to hear our message is is terrible, but it's not, you know, we're talking about a similar thing of trying to educate and engage and bring people in and, and meet them where they're at and then bring them in and, and hopefully change where they are and, and get them to, to be the kind of people that we want to put up into leadership. But just talking to them or trying to message to a certain group of people that might not agree with us on everything is fine. So here's two things. Uh, I would say that that same person who is saying that, you know, who's being critical of uh, and calling it gatekeeping, maybe, uh, it also need to examine their organization and what gatekeeping they might be doing from the left. Because frankly, mm -hmm. if owning the libs is more important than liberty to you, that's just whatever. Um, that's a, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Um, and I think that gatekeeping also is happening as well mm -hmm. and that we need to be diffusing that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want somebody who holds repugnant views to be getting traction in my party. What I want is for us to be getting traction into changing the hearts and minds of people. Now, that means we can talk with people, discuss with people, have discourse, um, but it doesn't mean that you're gonna necessarily like give them the keys to the kingdom necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. My other thing is, is that I think we need to stop having this ideological, uh, this takeover talk because what we're doing is now we're seeing state party um, Twitter accounts, just really like getting, jumping into it, into the edgelord fighting of between each other and it's it's getting kind of ridiculous and it's showing that like how divided our party is. State party accounts should not be for edgy messaging and for trying to push your ideological narrative in the party. State Twitter accounts should be for about pushing local issues that are going on in your state and the libertarian position on them. That's what your state party should be doing is reaching out to the local people. If you're a part of a state party and you're pushing national messaging, uh, it's not, it's, it's really not the, the place for it. The Georgia party is messaging to Georgia voters and Georgia issues and trying to grow the liberty movement within Georgia. Now we, there's national issues, of course, that touch Peach State, but we're not like, we're not just throwing out like ideological bombs to blow up in the air as much yeah. as, you know, as much as some. And I, and I think the other thing that I, the, that I think people need to understand is uh, we can talk to Republicans and Democrats and we can build coalitions around issues, but we as a party should never, ever, 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 ever be in the position we are endorsing Republicans or Democrats for office. We cannot run a candidate in a race. We certainly should not endorse the Republican or Democrat that's in that race that we're not running a candidate. 
Mm-hmm. I'm speaking right now to the fact that I've heard people say, oh, you shouldn't run a candidate for governor against DeSantis so he can easily win re-election because he's such a great libertarian. Like, okay, so he didn't lock down the states so much as all the other governors. That doesn't make him a libertarian. Uh, and it's he's not a little less statist. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, folks in Kentucky, should we run a candidate against Rand Paul? The only reason you shouldn't is if you don't have the resources or the candidate to do it. But if you have the resources or candidate to challenge Rand Paul, absolutely do it. Push the Overton window towards libertarianism and away from statism. That's what you do. You're challenging them ideologically. Your goal, okay, if I were to run for U.S. Senate, right, I would love to win the election. But the secondary win that I would like to do is force a runoff and make sure the Democrat and Republican candidates sound and act more libertarian at the end than at the beginning. And that, and that regardless of whoever wins the race, they are more libertarian than they would have been had there not been a libertarian in the race. You know, mm-hmm. and that's being realistic. That's understanding. And I think, uh, you know, Shane tried that, but David Perdue shit the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, he invited him to come on and talk to him and he chickened out <laughs> because he couldn't defend himself and defend his record. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was at a lower freedom index than AOC uh, in Congress. So, um, but that's what we should be doing. We should be yeah. not not voting on supporting and endorsing Republicans and Democrats, but we can we can uh, grow build coalitions through legislation and through issues, not through endorsing other party candidates. Uh, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with there, uh, with with the exception of some of the weird states like New York, where we have fusion voting, and then that the, that conversation gets a little tricky. I'm kind of actually a fan of fusion voting, uh, more for other third parties than with a duopoly party. It's where I think we're missing the mark on that. The fact that we could run a candidate on like three ballot lines when our opponents only have one or two, and it be all third party lines, but we could still do that. Like we could run a candidate on the libertarian green Sam progressive reform party and, and have a thing. But sure. That, yeah, New, York, New York's kind of unique. Yeah. New York's more of a unique issue and, and that's mm-hmm. a different conversation. You're right. And New York also has like rank, are they going to have rank choice voting for their mayor? So like that's a plus. Yeah. Um, the city, the city endured or just brought in rank choice voting for municipal primaries. That's so but good idea start. and something yeah. that they should be doing for every election. Um, but uh, and, and you're right. New York's a little bit of an end of, uh, a little bit of a outlier there. Um, but when it comes to just straight ticket voting, um, we can, you know, we can either run a candidate or not run a candidate. But we shouldn't be endorsing the Democrat or the Republican uh, mm-hmm. outright, you know. Okay. Um, but I will say uh, as the chair of LP Atlanta, if we don't have a libertarian candidate for mayor, I welcome any of the candidates for mayor, be they Democrat, Republican, or independent, to come talk to us and talk about what their vision for the city is and maybe work to earn our votes. Um, but we're not going to endorse anybody. Yeah, I think that's a pretty honorable stance to have as a political party. Um, more third parties need to have that because uh, the majority of them are just kind of copy-paste Republican or Democrats. And They're farm leagues. Yeah, right. We are, we, are, we are not a farm league for the GOP or the Democrats. We're our own team. Mm-hmm. Now, we may be like, we may be like you know, uh, the, the Cleveland Browns at this point with our record. Uh, you know, we're, we're not the New England Patriots yet. We're not the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're working on it. Um, mm-hmm. 
one of these days we'll have that winning season. Sure that. Yeah. But uh, we're growing. I mean, we got yeah. more elected officials this time again than we did this time last year. And again, our party's on an upward trend. That's one of the things we need to take away. We have lots of positive things to look at as a party. Um, nationally, the Georgia party is doing great things. Um, you know, so there's things to celebrate out there and we need to fight less and celebrate more. And to that end, I hope I see more people in Colorado in August. Cause I'm, I'm probably going to be out there. Through that. I have, I have very much, uh, PA, PA solidified this, but I already, I already believed it. If, if we partied more, like it would, the infighting would just be done more blunts and less bullshit and we would be fine. It's like sex, drugs, and alcohol solves all problems. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm very excited, like you're saying, about you know the trajectory of the party and, and the way that the new LNC has been taking on things. And multiple state parties have undergone some pretty heavy change over the last year that, you know, there are a lot of really awesome new state chairs across the country and, and other members of their XCOMs that are doing really good work uh, in states that had kind of been not doing anything previously. It's, it's a good trend. It's in the upward motion. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about where we're headed. There's a lot of critiques to be made, but there's most of those critiques are systemic. And it's like, I get it we're trying like it's, yeah. we're, we're all in agreement on most of the critiques of the party. Like we all wish that we were winning more elections. We all wish that we were getting on every debate stage. We all wish that we had uh, 10 hundred times as many followers on Twitter. We all wish that like, we're all trying to fix that. Uh, we're just trying to fix it in different ways. And the idea that like my way to fix it is better than your way to fix it. When neither of us have successfully fixed it is kind of a silly fight to have. Well, it's just like, um, you know, it's just like I said with that regional trainings, right? Like by the time we get around to your region, which is going to be last, we're going to have many of the kinks worked out. Um, there's always going to be constructive building of a party as it goes along and grows and, and moves from being um, essentially what is a, a third party to one of the one of the parties, right? Um, and as we gain more and more power and more and more elected wins and more and more ability to take power away from the state structures and give it back to individuals, um, we're going to have to constantly be, uh, be reassessing and reorganizing and looking at what's working and what's not working. Like right now, I think we're in a position where we do have to speak to the people who are voters. And to do that, we have to maybe change our messaging to soften the tone a little bit while staying true to our principles. But again, putting it into kitchen table language. And I think that's where we're at as a party now. You know, for the last 50 years, we were in kind of startup mode. That's one of the things JBH said when he got elected is, is I'm getting elected to get the party out of this startup mode that we've been in for five decades. And we're seeing that at a very rapid pace. Mm -hmm. And I think we can continue to see that if we just, you know, focus on building growth, building positive interactions with the voters and creating messaging that grows the party. And that sometimes means that we have to, uh, take the edge off a little bit. We're porcupines, right? We should only be throwing our quills out when someone's trying to step on us. The rest mm -hmm. of the time, we should be peaceful little creatures roaming through the woods, enjoying ourselves. And that's what we need to be more of. Uh, less quilly, more peaceful, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I'm very, ex like, I'm, I, say that, I say this too, this phrase too often, but I'm very excited of 
uh, you know, what you were saying about getting us finally out of that startup mode and, and into taking on the actions of what a real party looks like. You know, there are a lot of things that we have just kind of accepted that we only do so much. There's a lot of roles in the national party and in our state parties that, you know, we, we've just kind of accepted that like, oh, this job is barely anything. This is two hours a month of just like double checking that our bank account still has money in it. And that's all, that's all a treasurer does, right? I, I, my county treasurer literally disappeared from the party for a year and a half and no one replaced him because he still did that one job of looking at the bank statements every month and making sure that nothing happened. Weird. It's not like we were spending any money or raising any money. It was the same $75 for the entire year that we were there. And mm -hmm. that's not the job of the treasurer. Right? There's the job of a chair isn't just to show up to the meetings and chair the meeting. Like that's not it. Um, so we've, I think we've accepted a very low uh, bar as a party and, and we need, we're raising it finally. JBH is showing what a good chair looks like. We've got some awesome candidates for other positions coming up this year. Um, there's some really great people that are doing some really amazing work. And, it's gonna be great. It's been great to see, and you know, uh, and we're and we are doing those steps to get us out of that startup mode. You know, we have uh, we passed things like we have the libertarian elected support structure, uh, less to allow elected libertarians to hopefully once we get it set up to be able to connect with one another. So that way, you know, if you're just the only libertarian on your city council, well, that's kind of lonely, and it's hard to like discuss those issues with yourself, right? But uh, if we create a support structure, libertarian city councilors from all over the country can connect and say, hey, man, this is what I'm going through in Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, and this is what I'm going through in uh, whatever county in California, or uh, this is what I'm uh, facing as a state legislator in Wyoming. And so these are things that we can connect these elected libertarians together uh, mm -hmm. to create that structure, that support framework that a lot of them say they really need, that they feel really lonely out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done things like um, we're, we're facilitating this joint state and national membership program where when you uh, join national, um, it immediately prompts you to join your state and vice versa. So that way we can be collecting those dues and, and increasing our memberships in states that have higher national membership but lower state members um, so that we can you know, reinforce our membership that way. So there's lots of steps that we're taking to push us out of the startup mode, and it's very exciting to see. And uh, it's, the, it's the hard work, and it's not very sexy, right? It's not super flashy or like you know, something you can go, oh, look at this and throw it on a billboard. But what it is, is it's taking concrete steps to success. And, and it's something that the reason why JBH is such a great chair for us to be doing that is he's, he's been in charge of organizations that are of a similar size and scope to Libertarian Party. He's had to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to, to, you know, to keep an organization afloat. You know, he, he knows the steps that it takes to get it done. And, uh, any, and it, I forgot to mention to folks, if you haven't uh, recognized I, or work a lot with JBH. I'm his chief of staff. Um, we're doing lots of stuff to get this party off the ground that I'm very excited to see. And uh, if, you know, if you want to learn more, uh, get with me. We'll talk about what this party is doing. Oh yeah, I uh, I was very happy to talk to him just a few weeks before his election on the show, and then have him back a little bit after he got elected. I'm a big fan. He's one of the he's one of the few people I still haven't met yet. He was the only person that I, uh, he was the one and only person in Pennsylvania that I missed by 
trying to play both teams. Yeah, he was there for only one night, you know, because he had to fly out to California. You know, uh, I will say this. I don't think anybody in the party can say they travel as much as JBH in terms of uh, as, unless they're a presidential candidate, because I think last year he hit 35 state conventions um, and he's, you know, he's on part of basically make sure that he's hit every state that he hasn't uh, hit yet. So um, he's working very hard to make sure he gets out there and meets um, all of the fellow libertarians across the country to hear their feedback, um, to meet with them and to understand uh, what they're looking for in a national party. And I, I think to that end, he is showing um, through a lot of blood, sweat and tears uh, that he is uh, dedicated to growing this party. And if anybody wants to question that, I mean, I, I, I just, just look at the evidence, man. Like, I mean, he, he spends uh, I spent a weekend over there thinking, oh, I'm just going to hang out with the weekend. And uh, I did more work in that weekend than I usually do in a regular week at my job, just trying to follow JBH and like keep up with him and keep track of everything we were doing. I was exhausted and I was like, I turned to his husband, Ethan. I was like, I, I don't know how he keeps this pace. Um, I would, you know, he's mm-hmm. an exceptional person. He's got an exceptional husband supporting him too. That's, um, that's so there, there, there is that. Um, but uh, he works at a tremendous pace for this party that I think, again, it's not sexy or flashy, but he's putting in the hours and the time to actually grow us. And, uh, and I think anybody. National chair be, isn't supposed to be sexy or flashy. It's not. Hey, like, I, without Google, name the uh, chair of the Republican Party. Hey, name the chair of the Democratic Party. Oh, uh, you do the part. Oh, oh. I, I know that one. Oh, you're right. Okay, so you got one. <laughs> one out of two. Okay. <laughs> I only know is, that one because I actually partook in Democratic politics in yeah. the last year. I worked for but, Tulsi Gabbard, so I had to know those things. But, but the truth is, is that yeah, most, most people, people don't, don't know who that person is, but they know that the party structures were working for them and that there's robust 50 state campaigns and that they're. The, the, you know, the, the T's get crossed, and the I's get dotted when you have a functioning party chair. And that's what we have right now. We have a really great party chair who is doing fantastic work. And we have a really great LNC, a lot of hard workers on there. Um, I mean, like the affiliate committee, they've already reached their fundraising goal for the year and they're at the halfway point. And so uh, as they continue to fundraise, that's more affiliate in the box programs they're going to be able to send out to help uh, new affiliates grow and thrive. So, I mean, we're, we're firing on all cylinders as a party. So get involved get on the train and let's keep this Liberty train a rolling. Uh, and I think that's, that's the positive messaging that we should be pushing as a party. For sure. I think that, uh, that elected libertarian network will be awesome and also help show people that they exist because so many people don't realize that we have over 300 elected libertarians, three state legislators, and we're only getting more. We have what four wins already this year. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Kara Schultz told me, this great number. In 2021, Libertarian candidates have won 56% of the races they've competed in so far. So over half of the races that have had Libertarians in 2021, we've won the race. That's a great, that is a great average for our party. Uh, oh, now, yeah. This is 2021, so it's a little bit of an off-year election. But let's take that momentum and roll it into 2022 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're showing that we can win. We're showing that we can, that we can actively legislate and be great voices in our community and mm-hmm. states all over the country. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to see it and I'm happy to see more and more of it. And I think as it happens more and more, we're going to start getting more and more attacks from outside of the party and we need to be ready to rally around together, put the shields up, you know, kind of 300 style and, uh, and get ready for the incoming arrows because as we grow, man, they're going to start getting scared and they're going to start coming at us and we need to be ready and I'm ready and, uh, let's get it done. For sure. Well, before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to tell people like how to 
get involved with LP Atlanta, LP Georgia, Outright, your future campaign, uh, JBH, anything that you want to tell people to get involved in. Awesome. So uh, let's just go through the list of things. So if you can follow me at Twitter at Chase for Liberty, or uh, I have my candidate page, Chase Oliver Libertarian on Facebook. Um, so both of those, you can follow me there. Follow the Libertarian Party of Atlanta on Facebook. It's the primary source that we use. We're looking to grow from there, but we have a group uh, there as well. Um, we put events up. So if you're in the area, come pitch in, join us. Um, for Outright Libertarians, join Outright Libertarians by going to OutrightUSA.com. There is a membership link. You can become a free member, or if you become a 30-year uh, or more sustaining member, you get a, uh, a pride uh, Gadsden flag like you have right behind you there, sir. Nice. Excuse me, got the hiccups there. So, uh, yeah, if you join us for $30 a year or more, you get one of those lovely flags. Um, uh, as far as the National Party, if you want to get involved, uh, message me or, uh, and if you have a cause or concern message, uh, me, your state rep or I'm not your, your region rep or, uh, or the chair himself will be happy to hear from you. Um, but yeah, definitely get with me. I, I love to hear about how we're going to grow the party at the national level. Um, what else am I going through? Oh, my campaign, basically just follow my Twitter and keep an eye out. If I do happen to run, uh, if I do, I'm sure there'll be a website and a donation link and all that stuff that'll be eventually coming up, but we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, get involved. Uh, and if you don't get involved with me, get involved with your state party, your local affiliate, uh, and really start making a difference. And please, please, please go to the regional trainings. Please go to them. <laughs> I will second that very loudly. Yeah. And, uh, to your very last point, uh, get involved in your local party because we're a party of localization and this obsession over national is stupid because we don't even believe that national should be a word that's used mean anything yeah national <laughs> is really there to help support the states and the affiliates down the way and our candidates mm -hmm. that's what they exist for we don't exist to serve national national serves serves to exist the rest of the party and we've been doing that and uh, i think that's good messaging let's let's be bottom up not top down and uh and sure. i think that's what we've been seeing as a party for the last year well chase thanks for coming uh you got me fired up for for georgia and for everything uh it's been great. It's been great. And, uh, you know, as I said, everybody, you know, have a good evening. And I hope everybody has a, a, a night of peace and love and liberty. <laughs> I love it. Guys, thanks so much for watching. I will be back on live, not on here, but on FSM at 1030. We have a special announcement. A uh, new statewide candidate in the LP is, is announcing tonight. So go check us out. All of the FSM links are in the description so that you can make sure that you're watching. They'll also be on my personal Twitter because why not? Uh, Chase, again, thanks for coming. Guys, thanks for watching. We'll catch you back here next time. Until then, keep up the fight.